Hello, this is Ian Wolfe, producer of Diffusion Science Radio. This show depends on your support. Please make a donation directly with the PayPal button at www.diffusionradio.com or support Diffusion by downloading a free audiobook from audibletrial.com science or go to diffusionradio.com support and click on an Amazon link or buy my nano drones. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, visual illusions and computer vision. But first up, here's the news. New Alzheimer's disease treats ageing. Treatments attacking Alzheimer's plaques in the brain has so far failed to work. A team from the Salk Institute for Biological Studies and the University of California, San Diego, have instead concentrated on the biggest risk factor for contracting Alzheimer's disease, ageing. They've developed a compound that reverses brain ageing and prevents Alzheimer's disease in mice. The team created variations of a drug originally developed to treat brain injury. They tested these compounds on living human brain cells in petri dishes to see if the candidate drugs protected the cells against various diseases of ageing. In 2011, the team showed that the compound J147 reversed damage in mice with inherited Alzheimer's, which is different to age-related Alzheimer's. They also found it improved memory in normal mice. Now they've published a paper in the November 2015 edition of the journal Ageing, testing the compound J147 on mice without inherited Alzheimer's disease. Titled, A Comprehensive Multiomics Approach Towards Understanding the Relationship Between Aging and Dementia. Instead of the traditional mouse model for Alzheimer's, the researchers used a type of mouse that ages much more rapidly than usual, and which develops dementia, which is much closer to Alzheimer's in humans. They used old mice, young mice, and mice who aged while taking the experimental drug J147. They measured the expression of all genes in the brain, as well as over 500 small molecules involved with the metabolism in the brains and blood of the rapidly aging mice. The old mice that received J147 performed better on memory and other tests for brain function, and also displayed more robust motor movements. They even looked younger. The mice treated with J147 also had fewer pathological signs of Alzheimer's in their brains. They found that many aspects of gene expression and metabolism in the old mice fed J147 were very similar to those of the young mice. The old treated mice had markers for increased energy metabolism, reduced brain inflammation and reduced levels of oxidised fatty acids in the brain. Leakage of blood from tiny blood vessels is a problem in ageing brains that is quite severe in Alzheimer's sufferers. Mice taking J147 didn't have this leakage from the tiny blood vessels at all. In many respects, the mice 
got younger. Human trials of J147 will begin in 2016, if only so we can keep up with all the rejuvenated mice. 2015 has been a big year for reversing ageing in mice. Diabetes drug metformin was approved to test the slowing of ageing in a human trial that'll happen in 2016. Asthma inhalers were shown to reduce age-related brain inflammation in mice. Ultrasound was shown to break up plaques in the brains of people suffering Alzheimer's. Fat with isotopes of heavy hydrogen was shown to slow down ageing in worms and mice. And now J147 will be tested for safety and efficacy in humans in 2016. Now that researchers are targeting the pathologies of ageing as major risk factors for the diseases of old age, it may not be long before we have a whole bunch of these age-defying drugs rolled into a combination treatment that we all take every day. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Astrid Zeman is a PhD graduate in computational neuroscience. She works for Neuroscience Research Australia. Astrid gave a talk on visual illusions at Ultima Library for Inspiring Science Australia. First you'll hear her talk, and afterwards I'll ask her a few questions. The illusions she spoke about will be linked on the episode's webpage. My name is Astrid, I did my PhD in computational modelling of visual illusions, and so today I'll be demonstrating a whole bunch of different visual illusions. I'll explain what they are and give some examples of when and how we encounter them in day-to-day living and why they are interesting. I'll talk about some of the applications of visual illusions in computer vision, and hopefully you will all feel enlightened by the end of this talk. So this is an illusion that is not moving. It's an image called rotating snakes illusion that came about by the Japanese researcher Kitaoka. So you'll notice with this illusion that where you fixate, so where you look at, the movement will stop and you'll see movement happening in the periphery of your vision. And one really interesting, I guess, thing to note about this particular illusion, the rotating snakes illusion, is that other animals get it too. So if you go on YouTube later tonight and you search for cats and rotating snakes illusion, you'll see that this is a great way to entertain your cat, is just have printouts of this illusion and it'll be like pouring at the corners going, wait, there's something moving in the the corner. So highly recommended for your cat's entertainment. I should maybe explain why we get this. Why we get this illusion, it's something to do with asymmetric luminance steps which cause illusory movement, which basically just means that the black and the white contrast isn't uniform. It's not the same over the whole image. And apparently this is what will cause this motion in the image. So what are illusions. I've just shown you some strange image and and the thing is that illusions are not just these artificial images that are constructed but we see many illusions day to day and what they really are is a I guess a disparity or a difference between our perception and reality. So reality for this particular image, which is called the cafe wall illusion, is where you've got black and white squares and each of these grey 
water lines are all parallel to one another. They're not tilted in any fashion. But our perception of this reality is that they are tilted back and forth. And if you ever go down to Melbourne, you might notice there's a building that's been inspired by the cafe wall illusion. This is, oh, you can't really quite see the scale, but people are, are yay high. So it's on this giant building in the Melbourne Docklands. I'd recommend checking it out. I was very excited when I saw this building. Now, some of you might have seen this illusion called the spinning dancer. It has nothing to do with what side of the brain you're using, whether you're a left or right-hand brain person. It is caused by a lack of depth cues in this image. So you might see her rotating left or right. This is what's called a bistable illusion because it can flick between these two different states. And the same occurrence happens on the left side through this Necker cube where you might see the front face of the cube that might change between these two states. And so I don't know, who sees the spinning dancer going left? Who sees her going right? What about both ways? Yeah? So do you notice that when, it, when she flips direction, sometimes when you, it's usually when you blink your eyes. Yeah. Can you also influence it some, in some way? So if you try to think, is she, how, do, how do I get her to turn the other way? Can you also influence it top down? Yeah. On the, on the next slide, for those of you who might see her only going one way, this provides a bit more depth information that will allow you to judge whether she's turning left or right based on which limb might be uh, obscuring her turn. I like that this, I, th I think this illusion came about completely by accident. So I think it was by someone who was trying to animate a woman turning and then noticed that she was turning the wrong way and, <laughs> and then was like, oh wait, I've got an illusion here. One really fascinating thing to note is that illusions aren't just something that people have stumbled upon or invented, but something that's evolving every year. So every year there's this illusions competition that comes out for the, like, the, the top ten illusions in the world. There's a competition for this. It's really kind of fascinating and exciting and not just looks at what's aesthetically interesting, but also, you know, which of these illusions reveals some of the really interesting underlying neural mechanisms that maybe beforehand weren't explored fully or integrated in, in these new and interesting ways. So we've got multi-stable illusions. This is an example of, a, of an illusion where you get an entirely fictional object that appears. Because we kind of assume that circles around and enclosed and that this probably would form a triangle. So we would see a white triangle superimposed on the top of this illusion called the Kanazer triangle. Um, and that, I guess, is more to do with the influence that, or the assumptions that we make about the shapes that we normally see within our environment. And we impose these assumptions on what we see every day in the, in the future as well. Surrounding context can also influence the size and shape of objects. So on the left, uh, both of these 
are examples of Titchener circles or the Ebbinghaus illusion. So on the left, you'll see uh, it's a grey, uh, sorry, grey, green circle that's actually the exact same size. And on the right, the inside circle is also the exact same size, but by manipulating the outside context, you'll see it, it deforms your, your um, idea of the shape, of the size of objects. Yes, so there's the Ebbinghaus illusion. Now, what I've shown you is, I guess, a bunch of sort of abstract examples of how we can be tricked by our own brains by the assumptions that we make about, you know, objects that we see in our environment. But really, like, do we see illusions very often? How, oft how many times do we encounter it every day? Yeah, hashtag the dress. The internet went in like a massive uproar as soon as somebody um, wore, <laughs> wore a dress that people perceived as either blue or black or white and gold. And there's an entire journal article devoted to explaining what is the dress. There's not just two different percepts of the dress, but there's, I think, at least there's four. And, <laughs> and I guess, um, I, I guess the, the main conclusion from the dress phenomenon was how lighting can influence the perception of, of the colour of the dress. So you could change lighting to blue or, or yellow, and that the lighting that we're normally exposed to can influence our perception of, of colours. So I, I guess we kind of think illusions, uh, you know, maybe they, I don't know if they're, they're showing, uh, proving to us that our perception isn't always vertical, like that we can be wrong sometimes. But a lot of the time, illusions are pretty useful. So say if you ever watch any videos online, so if you decide you want to watch cat videos later tonight, which I know I will, um, <laughs> if you want to watch any videos on your phone or on your computer, if you want to watch any television, you're under an illusion because what you're really seeing is a flickering set of still frames that go around 25 to 30 frames a second and your brain stitches together these still images into one continuous movement, <coughs> to one continuous percept. So every time you're looking at your videos on your phone, you're under an illusion. And so that's just one example of where you're seeing illusions every day. Yeah, because all of your, all of your devices are limited to being able to only project a frame at a time. So you have a refresh rate, refresh rate on any, any electronic device that you're using. Yeah, it has some limitation. It just means that our limitation is uh, unless you're able to see at a really high frame rate, you may not be able to perceive it. One interesting way to test this is to take a video or a photo of your computer screen and you might see something, you catch it halfway through its refresh and it's starting to like, it's halfway black. Yeah, so that's one example of, you know, through being exposed to illusions by using our digital devices. Um, and also, I guess, later tonight, if you, if you go outside and you look at the moon, you might notice that the moon always appears larger on the horizon than it does on the top of the sky. And if you take a photo of the moon, it's really tiny, it's really small. As humans, we perceive the moon as being much larger than it is in reality. And 
the, the reasons for it still remain a bit un, unexplained. I guess one of the common explanations is it's to do with how we perceive the relative size of objects around using the context. But there's still a lot of debate about the moon illusion. But uh, yeah, that's another one that's worth noting that we see a lot of the time. Which of the two men lying down on the train tracks looks bigger? The top one, yeah. Someone said the same. Yeah, it's yeah, they're the same. So if I oh, if I draw some lines between the two, it becomes much more apparent. And this is, I guess, to do with surrounding surrounding depth cues that can influence how we perceive the size of objects. Here we have a bunch of circles that are shaded from white to black. And the ones on the left, do they look like they're popping out at you? And, and the ones on the right look like they're pushed, pushed in. Okay, well I'll just flip the image around, whoa, 180 degrees. They're the exact same circles. Why, why do we perceive the ones on the left coming out at us and the ones on the right going in? Does so anyone want to, yeah, go. Yes, exactly, yeah, light comes from above. Have any of you seen this particular illusion, the hollow mask illusion? So if you get a, if you get a mask, Halloween mask, and you rotate it so the inside of it you're facing towards the inside of the mask, you'll notice there's one point where it'll pop out at you. I would also recommend YouTubing this later because you can see a mask on a stick that's being rotated slowly and suddenly the face will just pop out at you. And um, does anyone want to have a go about explaining why that might happen? So it's, it's because we're used to seeing faces that come out at us. <laughs> We're not used to seeing faces that are sunken in completely. But very interestingly is that uh, people in certain, um, people with certain neurological disorders such as schizophrenia don't perceive this particular illusion, which I find quite fascinating in terms of that they've found that, this is quite recent research, they don't see the face as popping out. So they will see the mask as being hollow. And it's, it's something to do with the feedback signal coming, coming from uh, later stages of, of the brain. So they found that people who do have schizophrenia don't have that feedback mechanism to tell, to say that, oh, this is a face. Usually you're used to seeing them coming out at you. The thing is, all illusions are, they're all, uh, everyone has their own individual differences. So the um, so when you measure the I guess you, you can measure through psychophysics the level of bias that people have and how which is bias is kind of the um, the extent to which you can you may see I don't know the say the Titchener circles illusion how you know how would you need to adjust those circles so that they look the same or those people that are lying on the train tracks you know, how, what size, what angle would you need to modulate those train tracks so that you would see the people as being of the same size. So you can make slight adjustments um, for each individual. And, and so everyone is, is different.
so I guess in terms of in terms of the sort of magic eye stereogram images, they they play a lot on depth perception, and people have people do have very differing um, differing levels of depth perception ability. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm interested in in visual illusions from a computer vision point of view. So, in terms of robotics, such as uh, these autonomous driving vehicles. This is the Google car that will has a spinning sensor on the top of the car and it will drive around for you. And you don't even, you don't have to worry about how many drinks you've had. You don't have to worry about traffic path planning or anything like that. You can tell the car where you want to go and it will apparently navigate through the environment. So one interesting application for um, looking at illusions is when you look at line length and these sorts of depth, um, making depth judgments, then you want your camera information to be as accurate as possible so that you can navigate through your environment. So that's one application of visual illusions in computer models. I talk, spoke about robotics. These are the IBO robots that I programmed for national and international competitions 10 years ago. <laughs> These are the Sony IBO robots. I was going to just say in the news this year, Google has impressed a load of people with what they're able to do with artificial neural networks in generating some funky images. Um, so you can you can read about that online. They've they've constructed this artificial neural network that can extract features some yeah the features of bananas, ants, starfish, screws, and it can also um, implant those learnt features in images that it sees which it calls Inceptionism. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> you get some really trippy images coming out of these neural networks. That was Astrid Zeman. After her talk, I began by asking Astrid, what is the connection in your work between visual illusions and computers? I'm interested in artificial intelligence and computer vision. And illusions can reveal a lot of the underlying neural mechanisms that we use and exploit in order to make sense of our environment. So I was interested in, in uncovering some of those mechanisms by studying visual illusions and looking at how computers might interpret those images. So computer vision, is it subject to the same visual illusions as the human brain or different ones? I've found that computers do experience illusions and they do have similar bias levels to humans, which is quite fascinating. And what's the application of illusions to computer vision? So I've studied line length illusions, which can be influenced, well, have been thought to be influenced by depth cues. And so when we extract camera information, we might make judgments on how far away objects are. So for things like uh, the Google self-driving car, we, we could harness that information that's coming, streaming in through the camera and use that to make more accurate judgments for distances to objects. The most interesting part of 
of working with illusions is that it's still a very active research field and a lot of the illusions that I studied in, in my PhD thesis were cited from the late 1800s but it's still so it's still really active there's this annual competition for the funkiest illusions that are out there and they can be tactile as well as visual and it's a interesting and evolving field where would you look for the illusion competition if you're looking online it's called the the Visual Illusions competition. competition. I think it's organised with the uh, yeah, the uh, the Vision Conference, the VSS vis uh, Vision. Okay, it's the okay. annual Vision Conference. Um, yeah, it's usually held in the US. Have you looked at audio illusions? I do find audio illusions fascinating, but I haven't looked much into that. And tactile illusions are also super interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when computers are, well, I'm just wondering if computers, computer audio and computer tactile is mm. coming, certainly computer audio is already here, mm. so maybe the illusions will apply. Hmm, that, that might be useful, especially for extracting sound in a noisy environment. So there's this thing called the cocktail party problem, where if there's lots of sound uh, conversations around you, you're still able to focus on the speaker above all of the noise and clamour around you. Uh, and and I think there have been some recent, well, fairly recent developments in being able to extract that audio information so you can keep that separate from all the other incoming noise. Well, Astrid Zeman, thank you very much. Thanks heaps, Ian. Cheers. That was Astrid Zeman, computational neuroscientist working for Neuroscience Research Australia. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please send me email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf and subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube page at youtube.com slash C. That's C for channel slash Diffusion Radio. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambaka Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3NBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then explore more than 700 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords, so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. 
You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.